Welcome to the Nubus Podcast. This is Nubus Network for nerds that publishes headline news about technology, entertainment, gaming, and other nerdy topics. Interviews, reviews, editorials, fan fiction, and more. I'm your host for this week, Eric Sapphire for Nubus, and I'm joined this week by uh, Andrea. Hi. Yep, she's a staff writer, and I guess the Devante. Say hi, Devante. Hi, Devante. All right. Hello. You're on. Don't worry. All right. Okay. Uh, this week's podcast is kind of just in, kind of informal. We don't really have a set structure going on because it's been a while since we've gotten things going. We've had a lot of people dropping out, scheduling problems, what have you. But yeah, I just wanted to start off. I guess I think we've all seen Daredevil season two by now, and yeah. I just wanted to start oh, talk yeah. about that. We didn't never really had a chance to talk about it. It's been a really fucking long time since we did. So overall thoughts on everyone, uh, Devante, you. Punisher is God. Oh my lord, it was amazing. Yeah. I mean, just it, I thought that it was not possible for them to improve on you know things stylistically and the, the the way they've been telling their stories, like from season one. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how they still manage to unravel new characters and and see how they blend with the characters we've already come to love and hate. Yeah, um, yeah. No, definitely Punisher is probably the, the biggest standout. Um, I've been a huge fan of Punisher's, Punisher character for a very long time. Ever since I saw the Thomas Jane 2004 Punisher movie, I have a lot of comics on it, and I saw Warzone, etc. Um, I didn't think that I would see like a, a Punisher that good, where like you see a Punisher that has more layers than just being an angry guy who kills criminals, right? There's a lot more to him than that. I mean, there's like a scene where he's giving like a, like a love advice to Karen, and that's like not what I expected, but it ended up being a really good scene. Yeah, for real. A lot of heart uh, for a character who's a mass murderer. Um, Yeah. Andrea, what'd you you think? Um, We've talked about the fact that I was, you know, totally smitten with the Punisher. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I speak for a lot of people in saying that I just would adore to have, like, a complete threesome with him and Elektra. (laughs) (laughs) Elektra. Sorry. Speaking of Elektra... um, I mean, I, I got some mixed things. It's, it's nothing to do with the actress's fault or anything. It's just the writing, because near the end of this show, I feel like we can agree that things just got, got kind of disconnected and sort of rushed near the end. Yeah. Because they started throwing in this, like, supernatural shit and ninjas in the hand, and, you know, that, oh, Electra, you're the black sky, whatever the hell that means. And we're just like, it's such a weird twist, you know, change of events from making it super grounded and gritty with the Punisher and stuff. I, I I got this feeling that that should just been its own season, um, this entire time. I agree. Yeah. And it's, yeah, uh, they, yeah. Sorry, they were cool. building all these like interpersonal relationships, and it was just a big foil between, you know, the characters that agree with the Punisher and then Daredevil's point of view, and then they're like, oh, we need a big bang at the end. Let's make her, you know, a super a ninja. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fight a fuck ton of ninjas in the rooftop, um, like. Okay, like, like uh, don't get me wrong. I think she's she, she Electra herself and the actors are great because that that, that introductory episode, episode five, I believe, yeah, when they showed the past of how they met and their relationship in college, I thought that was great. I thought that's like very much exploring how well, like how what Matt what could have happened to Matt and how Matt uh, and her like they love each other, but she's like a, she's like the extreme side of him, like the un kind of undisciplined, un you know untamed side of him, and he, he didn't want to accept that. Um, I thought that was great, especially uh, how you know the chemistry between the two of them. I thought that was great too. 
Um, but you know, near the end with the whole hand stuff, it's just like it just became weird because you're gonna throw in all these crazy things like the how like Nobu is still alive, these ninjas can come back to life, that weird like chamber pot where they're draining blood from children. That was crazy. Yeah, and I thought like, okay, this is some pretty cool stuff, but what does it any, any of it mean? And they don't ever bother talking about it or really going going into detail. And you remember episode? Oh, sorry, season one. They're like, Black Sky is some big weapon, right? This, in killing this kid. That's why he killed this kid. But they they still don't tell you what the hell Black Sky is. And I was just like, I don't know what you guys are trying to go for. That was weird to me. Well, the thing is, this show is so fond of cliffhangers, yeah, even though. I mean, you're you're a Netflix show. People are gonna binge watch you anyway, but they still exactly. really need to have these crazy cliffhangers episode to episode, and then of course, you know, they still leave all these unanswered questions at the end. Yeah, and the thing is, um, for some reason, it called to mind. I can't remember. Um, I, I must have read this like five years ago. When uh, Daredevil turns evil and he's the leader of the hand or whatever, yeah, yeah. you remember I, that? I heard about that. I never actually read that part. But yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of that, and I think they're doing this to possibly lead into Iron Fist, but at the same time, it ended up just really being a lot, like a like a lot to process. Mm-hmm. You know, in such a short amount of time, especially with the, the magical chamber of like putting her body that they put her body in or whatever. There was like there was talk that Madame Gal would be the link to Iron Fist, um, and but I think Luke Cage is more of a lead in the Iron Fist because Luke Cage, Iron Fist, you know, they're like their best friends. In the comics, they're they're, they're their partners that, that start heroes for hire. They're like, they're like buddy cop movie, basically. Um, yeah, I feel like more so uh, of that. Oh yeah, and then if you remember Jessica Jones, Jerry Hogarth, that character is like the lawyer to Daniel Rand's family, uh, Iron Fist's family. So oh okay, yeah, cool, so like cool. two possible leaders. In the comics, uh, Jerry Hogarth is actually a man, but in the movie and sorry, in the TV show, they made her to a woman. Whatever. Um, too true. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, uh, oh yeah, I mean, this, this season was cool. It just, I feel like there's just a lot of, it, it could have ended stronger. Um, I'm surprised they haven't fully moved forward for the Punisher series, considering how much people love it. They're going to. They're going to have to throw something together, at least, at the very least. Especially how they ended his, ended him, like his, his story, because if you, if you see him, he picks up that, that, that CD that says Microchip. And Micro is his partner, his partner in uh, his war against crime. Uh, Micro is this fat hacker who is also his weapon supplier. Um, and in the comics, he'd be, he'd be portrayed as Frank, and Frank kills him at some point, something like that. But yeah, it seems like a, they were, you know, heavily implying. Wait, Frank kills somebody? Are you sure? Is that is that a thing that happens? <laughs> there, there was no sarcasm in that tone at all. Okay, well, yeah, I think we're all in agreement on that one. Um, this is a, a topic I always want to get into, um, just because it's probably easiest just to, just to, you know, the bullshit way your theory is, but what are the things that you hate the most that you're seeing right now in, like, entertainment and media, that sort of stuff? Um, well, see, I don't want to say I hate it, but it's, it's the most annoying fucking thing in the world is, um, <laughs> if you, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure if any of you guys watch um, the, the Bates Hotel? Motel? Yeah, any y'all seen the series? No. No, but I've heard about it. Well, just to give you like a, a general idea, it's basically the story of uh, this this guy. Uh, it's usually based off the movie Psycho, which was made by Alfred Hitchcock back in the sixties. Yeah. And um, they took the character Norman Bates, who's just this crazy white dude with serious mommy issues and explores his up his upbringing, 
in uh, Royal Bumfuck Nowhere and how his mom is crazy and how they own a hotel and how he loses his mind and turns into a murderous guy that wears dresses. And it's so frustrating of a show because it's it keeps you just watching enough so that you can like say you, that you think you enjoy it, but then it just kind of shits on every expectation. It's kind of like a, a bad relationship or mixed with Lost. Yeah, 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 you know what I'm saying? It's, it's just... Lost is a fucking weird show. Like, do you guys remember how that ended? How pissed the entire oh, world was? I didn't bother watching, but I had a friend who constantly just talked about it. And he, the more he talked about it, the more pissed off I got. Just hearing how dumb it was. Like, well, who the fuck thought this was a good idea for writing? What? Like, yeah. But I, I was saying, yeah, yeah. Um, any any sort of like, I guess not not in particular to like one show, but like any sort of like say uh for me for instance like i i don't outside of like the realm of, of one specific show i hate like the current trend of movies at the moment or and i i kind of hate i hate the current trend of like fandom um like for me uh for films yeah, i i've been talking i talk this over a lot with my my friend kevin who's been on the podcast a couple of times i hate the shit you know the obvious one being rebooting everything that's getting really fucking tiresome and you can tell that Hollywood just, just they don't want to take risks for things that are new because they want things that are guaranteed to make money. So they always resort to new, like sorry, old shit, cliched shit, cliched ideas, rebooting old old material, or right or making sequels to a franchise that was like done ten years ago, right? Yeah. Yeah, you said it happened all the time, you know, Terminator, Jurassic Park, whatever. Um Star Wars, but you know, Star Wars, I, I let it slide. Cause Star Wars is a enormous universe that is basically asking for a sequel of, like a long time ago. But um, yeah, it's just that sort of thing, and it also leans into a bigger problem, I guess, with the whole uh, issue of diversity because that that issue, people, people, you know, it, obviously it's bullshit. I hate the idea that we can't have diverse people in, in, in the film representation, but uh, uh, that's like a hundred percent because of money and. Uh, you know, we don't know. There's, there aren't any that many bigger names, people of color, other than a couple, you know, a handful of African American actors. So they want to just resort to things that are bigger names. Like you know, you heard of the Ghost Michelle movie, right, Jeff? Yeah, they're using Scott mm-hmm. uh, Johansson opposed to any anyone else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the reason is because it's Scarlett Johansson. Her name's a big name thing now, right? She does all these Marvel movies and had some other stuff in the past as well, and that's why. So. Even though it's like 100% nonsensical horseshit that a a movie that's set in Japan, adapted from Japanese material, uh, has characters of Japanese name are casted by white people. Like you know, like her her character. I, I thought they were gonna do it in Edge of Tomorrow route, where Edge of Tomorrow is based off of a manga, but they changed the setting, the concept's still there, right? So it's changed setting. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a European war against these fucking aliens, whatever, right? And they change the cast yeah. and change the characters. But this one, they're like, uh, if you look up the names, like uh, Scarlett Johansson's character is still a Japanese name, but she's like 100 percent white. And it's just like I don't, I don't like, like the logic behind that. It would be pretty amazing if they, uh, if they, you know, gave her CGI to make her look Asian to see how pissed off everyone would get. You, you heard about that, right? Wait, what? I thought. Wait, wait. You're, you're not kidding, are you? Wait, 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 wait. What? Yo, Dev, that, that's a real thing. They, they tried to do that. I'm not even kidding. I, I, I thought you were... I thought oh, this is hilarious. You know? Like, no, seriously. There was, there's a rumor going on from uh, various from editorial webs, you know, with, you know, news outlets. Uh, it's not a confirmed source, but they're saying that producers originally pitched an idea that was quickly rejected, but they pitched an idea 
to use VFX effects to make Scarlett Johansson look more Asian. Like, I'm not even kidding. Like, I thought you were fucking with me right now. <laughs> we're gonna pay two million dollars to make her look pretty much Asian. But we won't hire an actual Asian person. Yeah, no, they, they, their, their logic was like, this is our way to not offend people. <laughs> wow. Oh my god. That's very impressive. Yeah. yeah. But I think it's... This is part of a, an even larger issue. It's not even just that they're only picking white people for things, but also just I've always been bothered when I've gotten really attached to certain characters and they just, instead of casting someone that makes sense, they just pick the first big-name actor that is willing yeah. to do the part. Yeah. And it's it's a completely wrong choice for a role and it drives me absolutely crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you guys, you guys saw the Suicide Squad, you know, trailer, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, you know, I think it looks pretty good. I think that's the one like, uh, you know, current DC film that I genuinely think would be awesome and probably make a lot of good money and get good reviews. But my one gripe, my only gripe so far, is the fact that they casted Will Smith to play Deadshot, and I know Will Smith's a good actor and all, but. Like, like, like Andrea just said, like that's not someone I think of of any way, like who embodies a character of Deadshot. I, I, Deadshot is a guy who like is a stone cold killer. This guy doesn't give a fuck if he dies, that sort of thing. And he, the only thing in life he cares about is his daughter or whatever. But everything else, he just doesn't care. He'll kill anyone; it doesn't matter. And when I look at, if you watch the trailer, Will Smith, Will Smith is, is straight up like, "Let's go save the world, y'all." I'm like, oh, god. I'm sorry, so you're actually optimistic about Suicide Squad. I am. Just not Will Smith. But everything else is pretty good. I just I can't get I can't get into Jared Leto's Joker, man. It just feels fucking weird. I think I think he'll be good. I just I just think that th- those tattoos were stupid. But everything else I think Jared Leto will be good. I think Jared like, I know I think... he, like I know he can play the character. Like he's shown a, a history of being able to play those type of characters and roles, yeah. but it's just so hard for me to like look at him and take him seriously. I don't think it's the actors. I, it's actually the opposite gripe that you have, Eric. Mm-hmm. I don't blame Will Smith because the writing said, "Let's go save the world." That was not his executive decision well, by a long that, shot. Like the way he carries himself in that movie, it just doesn't. It's not convincing to me at all. I mean, I've Deb, you've seen Arrow, right? Part yeah. of Arrow, right? Do you remember Deadshot in that one? Awesome. Yeah, that's a dead shot I want. That dead shot, you know, for a low budget, sort of literally low budget cable TV series, that was a pretty damn good, good dead shot. And that's the dead shot I wanted to see. But you know, it's whatever. Um, well, nothing dude, will be as bad you. as uh, casting Jesse Eisenberg as Lex Luthor. So I mean, uh, Dev, did you like that, dude? Well, dude, more than anything, I did not like the Flash. Who the, like the the uh, the guy who they cast casted the, the Flash. He sucks, and he—he's he, literally the exact opposite of everything. They can't give us like perfection in the uh, what it, in Grant Gustin, and then completely shit all over our dreams and like like we are stupid or something. And give us that bullshit version of the Flash. Yeah, um, I mean, I don't know. It's kind of hard to tell now. I mean, that that was like basically a teaser trailer footage. You know, it's kind of hard to tell now for for that one. Um, but I mean, I think yeah, I think Grant Gustin he genuinely surprised me when the Flash you know premiered. I was like, that was. Yeah, pretty good. Like I think Flash is pretty good. Which, oh, by the way, I'm not I'm not caught up on that so far. Uh, are, are you caught up? Oh God, yes, it's it's amazing. It's only gotten crazier and crazier. Okay, I, I got to go back and watch that because that's literally the only CW out of those superheroes that I give a fuck about. I don't care about Arrow. Arrow is god awful now. It's dead, dead to me. Yeah. Legends of Tomorrow. I'll I'll just, I'll just go back and watch Flash. 
Um, oh, Legends of Tomorrow isn't bad. It's just a lot, it's a lot of scattered, um, and like it, it keeps going around on, on, on itself. And it right. tries too hard to like incorporate drama in the sense mm-hmm. of their interpersonal problems. Yeah. yeah. When they should focus more on uh, the action, making sure the characters are strong. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. CW's such fundamental problem, man. Because you got to think about what the demographic of CW panders to, and that's a, that's their core problem with their shows. Because like. Arrow seasons one and two are very much what you, what you just talked about. They talked about like focusing on the strong plot, strong characters, you know, stakes that make sense and are serious. But then you enter season three, season four, where it's like, oh no, you know, relationships trouble, you know, relationships problems. You don't, you don't love me enough. Wah, you know, and they make that the entire season. Like, but I gotta, but I gotta say, my, my my favorite thing about the Flash though is like the the like super speed hand of death that they like to use. Yeah, yeah, that's. <laughs> it's scary as shit, dude. Just, just looking at that, like, oh, he's gonna fucking kill me because his hand vibrates so quickly. Yeah, dude. I mean, I mean, honestly, like, and I didn't think they'd be able to improve upon the, the previous uh, season's villain of the Flash. Oh, but I mean, Zoom is something fucking else. He's pretty scary. I won't lie. He's pretty scary. And, and like, I know you're not caught up, but just just to say something that's not gonna give anything away to you personally or to any of the other listeners. Yeah. Um, it's. Amazing how they take something that's so that's so terrible and, and crazy and scary and make it even and make it even like crazier in, in the sense of raising the stakes because they gave Zoom so many advantages over the Flash and like even just a little bit of a like a, like a little bit of a advantages he's been able to like take from opportunities. It's crazy that this like confrontation that's about to go down as we find out more about Zoom and his past. It's it's something you're just gonna have to watch Eric. you gotta, you gotta catch up and see right, it right is it over when, when's the season end i'm not sure if tomorrow is the season finale but i know that's when we find out everything everything about Zoom oh, okay. and about why he's so murderous and evil right right okay tim uh where i left off i kept wondering to myself why didn't zoom just kill flash by now because he, he could so fucking kill him and whatever I, i'm sure there's some backstory to that at some point um but Back to what Andrea said earlier. Um, what did you think of, of Jesse Eisenberg as Lex Luthor in Batman v Superman? Uh, it was weird. It just it, it, it was like he he did a good job as an actor, but he didn't do a good job of, of staying true to the character. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, because okay, here's it's, the confusion which, though. This is the confusion because they say that he's the son of Lex Luthor, but they still call him Lex Luthor. So what is Jesse Eisenberg? the original Lex Luthor, or is he just the, some stupid son? Like, I don't understand, like, what the point of that was. Like, because I'm pretty sure we want the actual Lex Luthor nemesis against Superman. And he even shaves his head, so I get the feeling that he's still the Lex Luthor we know. I don't know what that, you know, what that was. I, I feel like they're, they're pulling a Kylo Ren with him, where they're, they're starting him off as, like, this, like, like snooty, like, wannabe genius, but, like, but, like a wannabe genius who, like, tries to uh, live up to, like, you know, what he feels he can be, but uh, he but he's, he does it in a bitch way at first, and I think they're gonna make him s- stronger right. and crazier and, and more fearful and fearsome over time. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. If I'd be will, okay, I would be more willing to give him a chance if he just took a you know dial it down a little bit instead of being over the top, you know, all the time. You know, maybe maybe he, like something happens when he's in prison and he like learns something and becomes like less fucking freakish all the time. Um, I don't think being over the top is what does it. It's just you can tell he's not entirely convinced by the character he's playing. And I've seen him act well, so this is just strange for me. Because it, I don't think it was at all a strong performance. 
It, it probably just overwhelmed him. What a horrible movie they were making. That's what I like to think. Okay, okay. Here's the thing. Here's. Do you know how Jesse got casted? It, this is the most bizarre no. thing in the world. Okay, so uh, Zack Snyder, whatever, is working the movie, and Jesse Eisenberg was originally casted as Jimmy Olsen, who is the geeky, like little, uh, ca- like photographer boy for the Daily Planet, and he looks up to Superman. He's a Superman's like best friend. <laughs> Uh, he looks up to him. He has a little special watch. He calls for Superman to go rescue him. He's basically at, he basically sees Superman as an idol. Like he's like the little kid essentially, but he's not really a kid. And that to me, that's a perfect role for Jesse Eisenberg. Uh, you know, that's what I thought. And then Zack Snyder's like, oh my god, I like the way that Jesse Eisenberg like talked back to me. Oh, uh, he's got to be our Lex now. Like that, that's like his basis for start for casting him as Lex. And then if you see the movie. Jess, uh, uh, Jimmy Olsen is that CIA agent who gets killed in Africa. That's Jimmy Olsen. In a, wow. Yeah, yeah. That, I'm not even making this up. That's what that, I, I, they confirmed it later on in different sources. And I was like, that's like nothing about that is Jimmy Olsen. I, I don't get that. And I just like I, I don't know where this weird reversal of ideas came from. It's so weird to me. And I, I, I'm a firm believer that a character like Jimmy Olsen is very important if you want to flesh out Superman more. The problem with me with these films so far for me is that Superman is not very, like, in, in their attempts to make him more relatable, he really isn't that relatable. And if, if we're just talking about this movie so far too, because in BVS, uh, Superman is like more or less just kind of seen moping around, never smiling, just getting angry at Batman for reasons mm-hmm. that don't really make a whole lot of sense. And if you had a character like Jimmy Olsen, that I, I think that would have brought out the whole inspires hope concept better because Jimmy Olsen is like a kid who looks up to him, right? And I think that would, would be a better dynamic. But instead, like he gets killed in like, three minutes, and for some reason he's a CIA agent. Um, I thought that was really weird to me. But yeah, that's this little fun fact. That's how Eisen, uh, Jesse Eisen apparently got the role, which is you know weird to me. What you think of? I know Andrea, you, you you've only seen like maybe half the movie. What do you think of Ben Affleck as Batman? He, so that was not bad. I, I wasn't excited about a lot of this. I knew I wouldn't like the movie itself, and I don't necessarily look at him and think Batman. But at the same time, he did a he did an all right job. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not ready to say that he's like the best Batman we've ever gotten. A lot of people are saying that. I, I'm not ready to say that. Um, I I'm, until I see Ben Affleck's solo film with, with Batman, then I'll make a judgment call on that. But I think he was pretty good. Um, I think uh, my all. I think I think for the most part, everything about what we see of Batman is pretty spot on to what I know from the comics to, to what I what I personally identify with Batman. The only thing I hate. That I, I absolutely hate is the fact that Batman kills like indiscriminately. I mean, like not indiscriminately, but he just kills without any sort of like you know qualms against it. And I know a lot of people are like, "Oh, I'm okay with this," you know, blah blah blah. Like, uh, I think it, Batman should kill anyways. And my my issue here is that you can disagree with Batman all you want about how his, his tactics, his methods, his philosophy, but that that is Batman. Not killing is very indicative of Batman. Um, that because, is true. Yeah, because. Any, if you look at any sort of major, uh, any major Batman story arc since like the '80s, or whatever you know, uh, you know, the Hush story arc, the Under the Red Hood, the Killing Joke, etc., etc., they all have something to do with Batman not wanting to kill, like at some level, 
And to, to, so to, to just go out there and ignore it and not even really address it in this movie is just kind of stupid to me. Like, it, it says to me that you don't really get the character. Um, and the reason, and this is a little little known fact, Batman actually used to kill in the very, very first ever comic ever made of Batman. Bob Kane, when he first wrote it in the 1930s, he actually had a gun and he killed people. It was a very strict noir kind of comic. Then they wanted to make him more mainstream with the kids. They added Robin. And they couldn't have kids assisting murderers and killing people, right? So they tried to give Batman a completely different origin story. That he was a kid, his parents were killed by a punk with a gun, right? And that changed his life forever. That was a very significant part because that, A, inspired him to fight crime, and B, said that he would never murder or stoop to the level of a criminal to use guns or kill people. And the, what the funny part is, is that that's the intro to this fucking movie, is Batman's parents getting murdered with a gun in excruciating slow motion, right? And then to all of a sudden just have him start killing people, like, it tells me you missed the point of the fact of why his parents got killed. That, 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 it was ridiculous to me. So whenever I, I have like a bunch of friends who tell me that like they're okay with Batman killing, to me I feel like you don't really know Batman. This is how I feel about it. I don't know. Uh, no, I definitely get that. Yeah. Sorry for ranting. Uh, yeah. Anything else that kind of just uh, I don't know bothers you in general with the media, uh, in, in entertainment? Oh, uh, oh well. There's a lot. It's mostly specific things rather than general trends. Oh, tell me. This is going to be very random, but I, I hate this thing that's developed in, in the world where suddenly it's okay to admit to liking things that used to be guilty pleasures, like, you know, Taylor Swift songs. Since when did it become okay <laughs> to like listening to Taylor Swift songs and be very open about that? Now you're supposed to do that in the privacy of your own room when no one's watching and you're a total dweeb. That's just, I don't know. Um... Is it just Taylor Swift songs? Like, what else? <laughs> no, she's just a, a good example because she's become so big lately. Yeah. But, yeah, no, people are very open about watching reality TV, and that's something I think that you should be embarrassed about. I mean, I don't want to shit on hey, Taylor hey, Swift. I, but I watch Hell's Kitchen, all right? I watch Gordon Ramsay shit on people. That That's not a good You don't pleasure. watch the Kardashians is what I'm saying. Okay, well, well, yeah, good. Gordon Ramsay is the perfect reality television. That just... Watching him shit on dreams is what I live for. Oh my god, it's so funny. <laughs> Gee, if only you didn't, you know, quote him all the time, I wouldn't know that. He's a very quotable person. Um, that is true. Dev, anything about anything with you? I think he just dropped off. Wait, did he just fucking drop off and not even tell me? Oh god, <laughs> damn it, he did. He did. This happened like me? ten minutes ago. You didn't. Oh god, he he did he he dev dipped in this podcast. <laughs> I didn't think this was possible. Holy shit. Oh, my God. Oh, well, that's embarrassing. He really wanted to Wait, go watch his movie. Did he text me? Let me see. Maybe he texted me. I just didn't actually see. Oh, he did text me. Uh, yeah. Well, to to my to the, anyone who's listening, yes, Dev had to go catch a, a showing with Hardcore Henry in the movie. Um, and apparently his girlfriend was screaming at him, probably because he was too busy talking to us. We're more important anyways. Um, speaking of Hardcore Henry, um, yeah, I saw that, like, a week, like, like over the weekend. That was a interesting movie. Um, some cool stuff. Andrea, you saw the trailer for that, right? I did, yeah. Yeah, well, what did you think of just the trailer? Well, I wanted to see it, but I, I do know what you mean, because the, the visual effects look like they would end up being a bit much. Yeah. Um, 
so so interesting thing. This movie is like an independently made film from like Ukrainian Russian people because like everyone speaks Russian in this movie, and uh, the character because you, you it, it basically is a video game but movie. Like there's probably no better description than this that it's a fucking video game, <laughs> and you're just watching it as it happens, and it's like it's almost just straight up nonstop action. There's some nice humor in it, and. The characters aren't interesting. No one in here is very compelling. The villain sucks. The 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 love interest sucks. And um, the only good character is the ally, whose name is uh, played by Chartel Copley. You know, you know, I'm talking about that, that South African actor from District Nine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's he's great. His character is just phenomenal. He's hilarious. There's a very clever twist with him. Um, really, really well done. Um, but. And this, this, the, the huge selling point to this movie is the action, right? This balls, balls to the wall, first person, Call of Duty like action. Some some person described it as Call of Duty meets Captain America meets the Raid or some shit. And to some extent, sure, that's true. And there's a lot of crazy action set pieces. But my problem is, and I'm sitting there at a very good, I have a very good seat in the theater, middle section, front, you know, in the middle. Uh, and it's not, I'm not too close, not too far away. I'm watching it. And the, the the first person camera gets so jarring, and I don't, you know, I I, I can totally understand someone tells me they, they have a headache watching this because I'm watching them do these like complicated rolling maneuvers, you know, dual wielding pistols, blowing people's brains out, and I'm sitting here thinking that this could have been more entertaining and more visually like stunning if this was in an actual normal like third person camera, you know, because it it gets it, it gets so incomprehensible sometimes. And uh, you know how I feel about action that I can't see. It, that shit pisses me off. And a lot of you would think that in a camera where it's in first person, you could see everything. But that's not really the case because it gets it just gets too jerky, too blurry. And uh, yeah. And, well, I think that was the whole point of the movie, though, was to shoot it that way. But maybe it would have been better if they would have kind of alternated a bit, so it wouldn't become too much of one thing. I just think that um, I don't know. Because okay, when you, when you're filming in first person, that's inherently going to be different from filming any other way. Because the way we perceive things in a, in, a, in that camera in that specific shot is weird. Because now things happen faster, and it's harder for us to comprehend that in that format. Obviously, it's different for us normal when we normally view things. When it happens on screen, things are kind of like it's weird. So I I feel like they should have purposely made things a little bit slower, uh, just so we we as viewers could comprehend it more. But, you know, I, I might be in the minority. I see a lot of reviews out there saying that, oh, this is amazing. This is, like, a, this is crazy. Going back to something you said, um, whatever happened to the District 9 follow-up we were supposed to have, oh, where I, I was just waiting for the aliens, like, speaking of, this is a sequel that should have happened, is when, you know, they all come back and kick ass on Earth. Huh, yeah. I don't know about that. Um... Because they set it up for that, and that was something that they were actually talking about making for a while. Yeah, I mean, this sort of thing happens in films all the time. I mean, I've been, been asking for, like, a School of Rock sequel that never happened. There were, there were talks for it. Things happened, studio conflictions, etc. Um, Meanwhile, we're getting a second Ghostbusters. Uh, it's not a second, but, like, a, like a shitty, like, really, really shitty-looking semi-reboot Ghostbusters, right? That, that's like totally half-assed. Yeah, yeah. And, and oh yeah. And meanwhile, we're we're getting a Transformers Five. Why is that still a thing? I don't know. Why does that's anyone? Disgusting. Why does anyone respect Michael Bay as a filmmaker? It's beyond me. Um, 
Um, District Nine. I saw that a long time ago, and I was like, you know, high school, whatever. Like most people, I didn't. I didn't feel like that was like a particularly amazing film. I think I, I'm in. A, Are you kidding? I'm in a minority in that one for sure. But I don't know. Yeah. I didn't really engage with it. It. I mean, I I totally get the sort of heavy-handed subject of apartheid and classism and racism, etc. But I don't know. I, I I didn't really feel like the hero was like. What was it? So what, he starts out as a, what, video journalist sort of dude? Gets infected with alien pores. Starts slowly turning into an alien. And then he cares more, and he's trying to find a cure, and then he ends up giving up his, his own life, his own possibility of getting cured by letting that alien go with his son or something like that. I don't know, I feel like I need to, I need to rewatch it. It's been like nine years since I've seen it. I don't know, pretty, a long time. Never mind, I'll hold It's older than I thought, but... You know, it is, it is great. Um, I would definitely give it another shot. Yeah, yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, I watched, I watched Murder Man v Super Shit, Dawn of Bullshit twice, so I, <laughs> I could give this maybe a chance, right? Oh, speaking of which, yeah, I, my my review should be coming out soon. I just I have a problem with length because I have so much shit to talk about in terms of how terrible it is. Wow, what a shameless plug into your article. Yeah, you're, you're goddamn right, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, speaking speaking of which, speaking of, of, of this movie in particular, Batman v Superman, uh, I don't know if anyone's noticed, but I'm pretty sure anyone who's ever gone to any online thread, comment section of any kind relating to this, relating to this movie will notice the uh, never-ending horde of like deluded and retarded DC fanboys out there. And... It's just, that's another thing I was going to bring up, is that, that I have a huge problem with fanboys in general, but more so now DC, because DC fanboys, because they've really just shown, like, they've really brought to light how pathetic they are when it comes to, 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 to their films. And, like, really, you just go on a YouTube comment section, and you watch, this, you watch one, like, objective review from a well-respected film critic, like, say... Say for instance, uh, Chris Stockman. Chris Stockman is a you know really well-respected YouTuber. He reviews movies. He knows his shit about movies. He's made movies before, and he's just talking about objectively things. And like pretty much every other film critic out there, you know, that gave maybe twenty-eight percent Rotten Tomatoes. He didn't like the movie very much. He thought it was poorly made, poorly constructed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, like what have you? The obvious problems. And you, you see these fanboys going on there, attempting to like mass dislike his video. Uh, spamming comments, being like, ignore him, blah, blah, blah. He doesn't know what he's talking about, etc. Like, there comes to a point where, yes, you have an opinion, and you can, you can, uh, your opinion should be respected, etc. And it comes to a point where I feel like you're just a blinded, like, the, uh, you know, you're, I feel like you're just drinking the Kool-Aid to a cult. Like, you don't really know what you're talking about, that you're just letting your own zealousy, like, get in the way of objective reasoning. And it, it, I've seen it like more than a dozen times at this point, and it just—it's really sickening. Like I, I don't know at what point we've gotten to the point where we're willing to just make excuses for things that are clearly just shit, you know. And to me, I'm a DC fan. I don't want people out there just being like, "Oh, hey, Eric, you know, you're a Marvel fan." Well, I'm a Marvel fan and a DC fan. That's the reality of it. But when I say, uh, when I, when I praise Marvel films, it's because they know what the fuck they're doing. It's it's as simple as that. And oh, so when I when I when I criticize this movie, everyone's heard me shit on this movie plenty of times by now in this podcast alone. But when I shit on it, I'm giving I'm telling you why I don't like it 
as a fan of DC, especially as a Batman fan. I've been a Batman fan long before I was a Captain America fan. That, that, that's for sure. And you know, these are things that are just glaringly obvious. I feel like a fan should be able to call out criticism and put the filmmakers on blast for what they got wrong instead of making excuses for it. You know, because that doesn't make your film doesn't make future films better. That's just how I feel. And you and you'll see that with any sort of medium, really. Um, and especially, you know, in any stuff, music, you know, movies, whatever, TV shows. I don't know, Andrea, have you had that kind of encounter before? I mean, that's, it's one of those things you always run into with any long-established fan base. I remember a lot of people would get very butthurt when I was younger about, you know, just any criticism of Harry Potter books. Oh, yeah, oh, hell yeah, 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 I know what you're talking about. Um, I'm sorry, her couples made no sense, but... <laughs> It's just an issue you're going to have. Oh, God, you see this in music all the time where someone's like the band for a long time. All of a sudden, if they put out a different sound and people say, you know, I like the old stuff better, they're like, no, everything they do will always be brilliant. Yeah, these guys shit gold, right? (laughs) I mean, you know, artists change. And, yeah, we don't want someone to completely stagnate in their style. But at the same time, people will get nostalgic over things they thought were better. It happens to, yeah, definitely happens to a lot of the older bands. Like, it's happened to Queen. Um, I mean, they, they change a lot of a lot of kind of genres, you know, with their music. Love Queen. Andrea, what are you watching right now? Oh, um, God, what am I watching right now? I'm getting caught up with Archer. Oh, how far are you in Archer? I'm actually... Still finishing up last season, I know. Oh, so whatever. Is is that the, is that the Vice one? No, what? No, this is like two seasons after that. This is after. Yeah. Archer Vice is a little weird. After Archer has, you know, the baby with Lana. The, well, the baby's name's like Abigene. I'm not. Is that a horrible? Name? Is horrible that a name. name? No. Am I, am I just missing something no. there? Abigene. It's this like super retarded thing people are doing now where they're just Combining putting two names two together. Names. Yeah. <laughs> hey, let's, yeah, let's combine our names. Uh, Andreaka. Andreak. Never mind. That's retarded. That is retarded. I'm glad you noticed. Um, yeah, I may be drinking, but even I know that's retarded. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, I've only seen like one episode of season the, the newest season of Archer right now. It was, I think you told me this too. It was, it was kind of weak. Oh wait, you're not even on the newest. Yeah. Season. What am I saying? Did you watch? It? But no, it started getting weaker a while ago. It definitely hit its stride in the earlier seasons. Yeah, it's like I don't know because a lot of a lot of people a lot of people were like afraid that like because Archer was getting back with Lana, things would get kind of stupid. Because whenever like shows have that. Where like the they have a couple of things get less funny because 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 the, the humor a lot of the humor of shows like Archer deal with super self indulgent like uh, you know pieces of shit self degenerate people like being selfish so when you start making them better people then it becomes less funny because that's not the humor anymore but I don't know like we'll we'll, we'll see with that um, well let me tell you there's another complete crap I have with um, this happens a lot in shows where you have characters 
that are initially really awesome, hilarious characters, and then as soon as they enter a relationship, they change and become completely ridiculous and sappy, uh, yeah. and everything you loved about the character just goes out the window. Um, but with yeah, Archer, it's been... In a lot of ways, that could be like real life, you know? Being in a relationship changes people, but... We're, it we're does, not, we're but... We're not going to watch that, right? Yeah. People don't do such a 180. I mean... Let me, let's be honest, if you have the kind of friend who gets into a relationship and completely drops their friends, they were never necessarily, you could always tell they were the flaky kind, I'm just saying. Yeah. But, no, it, and it's kind of not been crazy with Archer yet, it still has, like, a lot of instances of him and Lana, you know, baby talking each other, and that drives me absolutely crazy. But, that's not, it's not a fun trend, no one wants to see that. Relationships, like, on-screen romances for characters can fuck over the show. I mean, lo and behold, the fucking show Arrow, which, which funny <laughs> enough, the page just showed up on my Facebook just now. Okay, let me tell you. I know you don't watch Arrow, Andrea, but, like, this show is such a fucking weird, like, bizarre anomaly. Okay, Seasons one and two were genuinely good, great. Even season two was especially especially good. If a character named Felicity, who is basically the hacker, the good-looking hacker girl to our to our hero, Arrow, Oliver Queen, the show, and when she was first introduced in season one, she's this quirky, quippy, really socially awkward but really cute hacker girl, and she could oh you could always trust her to speak her mind no matter what, etc. And she was, you know, charming in a way. And people, she was a quickly became a fan favorite. She originally wasn't even supposed to be a regular, but now she's the staple character. And then season two developed her further, further. And she had a thing, and she clearly had a crush on our main character. But the main character did not have the same feelings for her, and that was an unfortunate thing. Then season three came about, and these stupid fangirling like idiots who kept calling. You, you know, you know what shipping is, right? No. Shipping is like the concept that that fans want two characters in the show to be a relationship together. So, they and they, all, oh, they often give them these like stupid like nicknames. This one, this one was called Alicity because her name is Felicity. His name is Oliver. They called it Alicity, and these Alicity fangirls kept pushing it to the point where now the writers in season three started pandering to them, shamelessly pandering to them even, and the show less became okay it's a superhero show it became less about the overarching plot of the superhero and the villain and more about these petty as fuck you know romance triangles about our characters now so felicity became this nagging bitch who just did not see the bigger picture it uh kept on being self-centered thought it's all about her right to oliver this entire time and then when season three ends, whatever, they become married. And then now they become the center of the show for season four. So it's like, like you said earlier, like relationships and shows can destroy a TV series. And this is like the, this is like the epitome of that. And now she is a well-hated character. Felicity, I'm seeing comments being like, kill her. I hope she fucking dies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm inclined to agree because at this point they haven't, they, they have not redeemed her. And it's too late, if you ask me. They just need to kill her off and hope the show gets better but that's why i'm really happy with what daredevil is doing because yes you can tell that at you know different points in the show both matt and foggy had feelings for karen but they're not letting it get of all the things they argued about that wasn't one of them yeah exactly yeah exactly which is great yeah 
you could see a little hint of that. Like Foggy's a little little bummed out that he can't. He's not with Karen because he did obviously have feelings for her. And in the comics, I mean, that is a little bit of an issue with Foggy. Foggy has like underlying like jealousy issues. With Matt, cause Matt always gets a good-looking girl, and then he gets Karen, whom he actually really wanted to be with. But he gets over it, you know, eventually. And yeah, I mean, in this in this show, um, yeah, like Foggy is mad at Matt because. He can't deal with it. Matt always being this vigilante who fights crime every night and almost gets killed every night. And it especially got in the way of their work and what they built together, what they've, what they've been building together since, since, since they were roommates in law school. And, yeah, I mean, those are things that make sense. You're completely right about that, yeah. Because it's also another aspect of real life is you don't always have some dramatic argument with your close friend when you like the same person because that naturally happens with people um and sometimes you just shut up about it and that's another aspect of real life yeah it's not like how you and i have a mutual attraction to michael fassbender and i'm not like no <laughs> no fast but uh, you know fassbender's minds can't be yours fuck you uh. oh man don't don't try to distract me with michael fassbender right now because <laughs> it'll work <laughs> Speaking of Fassbender, I really hope, I really hope that Assassin's Creed movie turns out good. That that could be pretty historic for, and set, set a pretty good precedent. An actual good adaptation of a video of a, game. Yeah, exactly. That's never, that's never, like, really been done before. I mean, okay, Mortal Kombat 1, maybe Resident Evil 1, uh, Prince of Persia, maybe. Those, those weren't good movies. They just weren't shitty. All right? They, they, they just weren't, they just weren't, like, horrendous. And uh, right. but like anything else, it's horrible. And because because filmmakers, okay, I equated this to the same problem with the Zack Snyder trying to do DC movies. They don't get the material and they don't get the characters at all. They have a very superficial understanding and they rely on stupid cliches to sell tickets. And because like, what is it in Resident Evil? Oh my god, I, I'm not even a huge Resident Evil fan. I've only played like two games because Resident Evil Four is one of the greatest games I've ever played in my life, and then I played Resident Evil Five because it's good co-op. But I watched like the movie trailers, and I'm like automatically the characters that I played as, like I'm looking at the trailers, but this is not who they are because they make Resident Evil in the movie less about survival horror and a 100% a shitty Matrix ripoff, right? Like everyone's wearing all black. Dual wielding automatic weapons, slow motion bullshit. It's it's stupid. Like it's it's there's there's nothing. There's no tension in here. And it's like if we're talking about the roots of Resident Evil, that's very much about tension. Like you know, it's a fucking survival horror. This is this is the pioneer of the zombie genre in video games, and they don't get that. Oh yeah, yeah. And then the the, the, the you know the recent Hitman movie, Agent Forty Seven. My God. Yeah, there's another example of that. They just they they try to make a character. Who is a stone cold clone, a professional assassin, into a uh, you know commendable hero, like, who's got to save the girl and has a love interest? Like that's not who he is. I'm sorry, I, you know. I'm sorry that this character doesn't fit under your typical action movie tropes, but that's not what he's about, you know. And when you try to, conf- you know, when you try to convert a character. That's inherently not what that is into something, you know, into a little little like category or cliche or label. Then p- people get bored of it because they've seen it a thousand times before. And I think the charm of video games is seeing things you haven't seen before. And uh, what excites me about Assassin's Creed movie is the fact that, you know, how much like how Marvel Studios 
has their own studios, right? Marvel has their own studios. Marvel Studios. They they understand the characters because they're tired of shitty shitty studios like Sony and Fox ruining their characters, you know, whatever. And they realize that like, hey, we could take our characters who are, all, who are already great and adapt them because we get them and then make it better. And I think Ubisoft is going in the right direction. They have their own studio. They have a they have a lot of major big name actors. Michael Fassbender, obviously in that one. Um, I forgot. I had I had the list up earlier, but a lot of good cast members. I think mean, the director is a guy who did Macbeth. Uh, yeah, so they're taking it super seriously. That, that's what excites me. Did you see the the the, the screenshots of uh, Michael Fassbender in Assassin's Creed? Yeah, um, but also yeah. Speaking of Macbeth, I'm very excited to see that as well. He's just great in everything he's in. I mean, what 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 was Fassbender's breakout role really? Was it was it Inglorious Bastards? I think it might have been which is insane and awesome that was my that i think that was uh yeah i think that was inglorious bastards was my first fast bender movie and that really did capture my attention towards him and maybe even more excited that he was an x-men first class because he killed it as magneto um you know what my favorite scene is in inglorious bastards that pub scene with fast bender that entire pub scene and What's you know? What's obviously you know because you like you 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 just wrote the review for Hateful Eight and you're you're a huge Tarantino fan. But Tarantino can make things that are boring awesome. He can make a conversation scene go on for like 15 minutes plus 20 minutes and make the whole thing tension filled and you're invested the entire time, even though there's no action or visible crazy visual stimulus happening. But the dialogue and how it's shot, the acting makes you on board the entire time. And that's exactly how it felt with that pub scene. And if you really think about that pub scene in the Glorious Batch, it's stupid, right? Because that stupid actress bitch was like, hey, let's have a very, very important meeting where I tell you about the, uh, an upcoming operation in a public pub where all these German officers frequent, right? But that scene was so beautifully done, I, I can forgive it. The, the fact that everyone's, you know, talking, uh, you know, in German... And he and the, the fact that he gave away the fact that he's not German born because of the his the whole three finger thing that sort of stuff. Watching that scene made me want to learn German. That's how good it was. Um, well, okay, hold on, because I I have certain things to argue with you here. Yeah. So this is probably you know this is my favorite Tarantino movie and probably one of my favorites of all time. So I obviously have thought a bit about it, but so the thing with Tarantino. I think that's why his dialogue is so fantastic and so engrossing is because he spends a good bit of time building up these incredibly crazy characters and all their different facets of their ridiculous personalities. And so then you get put in a situation where there's tension and you have really diverse characters and then, of course, just crazy shit happens. And he's great at this. So, in Glorious Bastards, and I, I've always wondered why her character, Bridget von Hammersmark, gets so much hate. And it's it's fascinating to me because you have a character who, by any other standards, would be considered pretty cool because she is an actress who has no military background or anything like that. Um, she's not politically inclined but she just takes it upon herself to decide with what she thinks is the right you know part in this war 
and she's completely risking her life here just because she has connections and wants to help out, you know, this renegade band of soldiers. And she picks an area, again, she's not a tactician here, but she picks an area which just allows for really cool action scenes to unfold, but yet everyone in this movie hates her, and it's very fascinating to me why this is. I mean, you know, she obviously betrays her country, so Hans Lana just, you know... Well, okay, he, I, think, I think Brad Pitt's character, well, obviously hates her because he just lost a bunch of men. And then... Yeah. I hate her for the same reason. Not because, okay, yes, she is revealing very important intelligence information, but it's like common sense. Why would you host this meeting in an area completely public where all German military people just frequent? I just, I don't get that. And she well, got, again, I mean, she, she does mention... Fassbender got killed. Then again, she does mention that this usually doesn't happen, but that guy had just had a baby, so they were randomly given a night off. True. That usually that bar is quiet. Yeah. So it's just another one of those Tarantino things where just a bunch of happenstance oh, yeah. things. Wait, 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 wait. And then occur. she killed that guy. She killed the guy who just had a baby after Brad Pitt was going to let him go. Like, I was like, uh, it, like things like that just makes it worse, you know, because you already didn't like her, and then now, like, he, and then she kills him. And then you're just like, wow, you, you cunt. You killed the new, the, the new father. Like, things like well, that. Well, I just thought that was a hilarious moment. Um, because bitch just got shot through the calf. Like, she was not having a good night. Oh, <laughs> and God, that's such a beautiful scene, too, with all of all the shooting happening at once. Yeah, it's so frantically shot. Like, you know, it cuts super quickly. And, you know, even when I slow it down, I can't tell what the hell's going on. And I think that was, that was the point. Because mm-hmm. it's, like, it's like a real-life Mexican standoff when just shit just goes crazy. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I still hate her. Uh, that, that whole thing was just common sense. I don't, I don't give a fuck if you whether or not you knew someone was going to be there. The, the possibility, what was so hard about meeting in person, you know? I just, I don't know. It's more, more private. And that's the other thing. Hans Landa despises her, and at first you think, okay, he's true to his cause. She betrayed her country, and he hates her because of that. But then by the end of the he movie, he's country, just like, yeah. I'm not that particular about who wins. I would like some land on Nantucket Island. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's an entire, you know, flip-flop. Yeah. Fucking... Still a great movie. That's still my favorite Tarantino movie. Until I see Hateful Light, then I'll measure... I'll, I'll weigh that in. Um, yeah. Random thing. One last thing before we call it. Because it is... It is an hour and thirty. And Andrea does have work, unlike me. Um... <laughs> Okay, I know I'm in a minority of saying this, but I did not think Skyfall of James Bond was very, was the greatest film, or like it was great because everyone loves Skyfall. He was it has like a ninety like four percent or something so like that on Rotten Tomatoes. Like obviously, a lot of people like it. I know I'm in a minority of saying that, but personally, I cannot you know tell you right now that that film was great. And and that, um, I don't know, Andre, how did you feel about that? Because I know you're a huge Bond fan. Okay, so how do we get on Skyfall is what I'm wondering first. Sorry, it's, again, this is a rambling podcast. This is a subject that's been bugging me for a while. You know, fine. You don't want to answer it. You don't have to. Damn. No, no, it's fine. Um, So it's difficult because, first of all, I, I'm going to say Casino Royale was, I think, the best of the new ones still. Of course. Um, 
absolutely amazing movie. Everything a Bond movie should be. Skyfall, it was really good about, I mean, you know, it had this big theme of old versus new and all of that. And just how we're, you know, another great theme of how people wage war now. How you even have the capacity to wage war in the modern world and the different methods people are going to employ. But I I will say I agree I'm on the other side where I don't think it deserves as much praise as it got. There were still a lot of very outlandish parts of this film. Um, a great villain, I will say that. You like the um, villain? Yeah, he was... Because it was an interesting idea to pair that with, if you're going to talk about how being a spy would change and then you're using someone who was on, you know, the quote-unquote good side that still got betrayed by his... Country, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I get that. Or left behind. Yeah. So that was a really cool idea. And it was... I definitely wouldn't have been able to tell you at the beginning of the movie that that was the direction they were going to take. So it was a nice twist as well. Um, I think, you know, and the acting was good. Yeah, um, I mean, I don't know. I to me, the Sam Mendes and the crew behind Skyfall and Spectre, which we can both agree. I think I think most rational people can agree Spectre was pretty lackluster to say the least. But, um, but keep in mind that Spectre was made by the same people, almost the same exact people who made Skyfall, and the. The studios and shit, they gave them a fuck ton of money. Like, the largest budget possible of any Bond film to make Spectre. Because they thought, oh, we can trust these guys because they were successful with Skyfall. And, you know, lo and behold, it was, like, really, really, like, below average, um, superficial, good, you know, at best. And, honestly, I feel like Spectre was a kind of uh, the worst personification of the worst worst uh, aspects of Skyfall. And to me, I feel like a movie like Skyfall and Spectre are films that are very much flash over substance. And Because you can tell, it's, it, I will not deny that the way these films are shot is amazing. The, the colors colors in Skyfall is beautiful. Especially in that Shanghai scene, right? Uh, they, he knows these visual kind of you know, displays and stuff like that. It's very much like, you know... Uh, uh, like you know, I guess J.J. Abrams' Force Awakens film, and but when I when I, when I examine like when when you start scrutinizing the script, the plot, the motivations of these characters and stuff, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And very much so, the first thing I thought of when I saw Silva Javier Bardem's villain was that he was a Joker ripoff. And I'm not the only one who knows it after the fact. And you know, I'm glad I'm not the only one. I thought I was I was just going crazy or something, but because. Skyfall is very much a Dark Knight film, and very much in the same regards that Spectre is a Winter Soldier slash Mission Impossible copy, you know, ripoff. And if you notice, every film after Casino Royale is a trend follower. Quantum of Solace was a kind of ham-fisted Bourne movie. Skyfall is a ham-fisted Dark Knight movie. Spectre was a ham-fisted like uh, Captain America and Winter and uh, Mission Impossible movie. And in Skyfall, you have this super dark setting. A villain who's like maniacal, has a scarred smile, right? 
has this illogical, impossible escape plan, can somehow plan two steps ahead of his enemies, etc., etc., that sort of thing. But I get you when you say that his his motivations definitely make sense. I thought that, that, that was a great one when like he's betrayed by his country. That's why he wants to kill M. That makes sense. But then his like his plan makes no sense. If you realize that his plan is like almost completely based on convenience of information. Like you remember when he's like Bond is chasing him in that train station. How did he know to like blow up that train exactly where Bond was? That was just weird. That was the most ridiculous yeah. scene to me in the whole movie. Is just. Is it worth such an elaborate setup just to hope that the train yeah. crashes through the wall and crushes Bond at the right moment? Oh, also, just assuming you'll be out of there in time <laughs> for when your fantastic plan unravels. Um, no, but yeah, that yeah. was like, one of he, the most crazy. he plan the, crazy. the train schedule? Like, oh, it's 1130, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, things like that. And uh, and that ex- and uh, I get what you're saying. You know, the whole it, it was very apparent to me that the theme of me was the old versus new, right? Because it deals with the the, the fact that Javier Bardem's villain had like access to all information and technology, even if if anything made zero sense. And um, Bond is old, right? He he's he's like getting old. He can't he he barely passes his field training shit, right? Et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, and then and near the end of the film, you know, it's like you see him driving off with that, you know, Aston, a classic Aston Martin. Um, he goes back to his old house in his old neighborhood and his own like little like you know, estate, where he just does a home alone trap as a finale and stuff. And I, I totally get where it was going, but it just it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like, why would I corner myself in my old house with just a I pump a a a break open double barrel shotgun and some makeshift traps. While well, this dude has an army of mercenaries with fully automatic rifles in a fucking attack chopper, a fucking gunship. Which, by the way, why would you not send a gunship in first and just nuke the goddamn house? <laughs> like, well, because then you can't advance the uh, action plotline. But I mean, you know, it the setting made sense because well, a you get Bond backstory, and b you are drawing the fight to a place you know very well. And then, see, he did discuss that he thought all of his, like, family's old weapons were still around True, before yes. they were, yeah, you know, yeah. sold off. He was surprised. Um, because yeah. it was absolutely gorgeous setting. I mean, Bond movies, as many gripes as I have about them, they always know how to pick a location. They always know how to pick their women. And, um, you know, generally... It's a good story. I mean, recently, Spectre, we both agree, yeah. there were some horrible, horrible holes with that movie. Okay, um, I mean, to my, to once my you viewers get past the there. hentai intro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To my, to my listeners out there, anyone out there listening, when I saw Spectre with Andrea and another friend, and when the opening theme has us laughing our asses off, that's not a good sign for the rest of this movie. It's not a good sign. No, seriously, I thought I was watching... A you know sarcastic you know SNL skit about yeah, yeah. the beginning of a Bond movie <laughs> rather than an actual <laughs> intro. Yeah, like it was just making fun of Bond, right? Like he's completely naked, and a bunch of women are grabbing onto him, and like the fucking tentacles are wrapping around women, like like as a hentai porn. Oh, uh, and then the the Sam Sam Smith's really cringe worthy you know uh, music. Oh, uh, yeah. 
that was that was just like oh this is Sagnatellan for the rest of the movie isn't it <laughs> um yeah Skyfall to me um yeah I don't know like I came out at theater just having a lot of just like out there just being like in awe of what I just saw but not in a good way like I was just confused and just like why did this happen whereas all my peers were just like this movie's amazing blah 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 this is great and I don't know, maybe I'll have to rewatch it again, but I just feel like it missed all the good notes that I usually associate with a Bond film. And, like, okay, you said, you listed saying, like, revealing Bond's kind of backstory is a good thing. Okay, the whole, the movie is called Skyfall, but Skyfall just means his home, like his old home. And I just felt like that was, that was really a weak kind of reveal. And a Bond as a character is not someone you'd need to know his past about in, in, in any other Bond film before. There's never been a thing about revealing his past. And I have a friend who's like, Kevin, who's been here before. He's a super huge Bond Bond fan. He loves Bond films. He's watched all of them, right? And he's telling me, like, he's not a character that you need to ever explore his past about. I mean, for starters, they change actors all, you know, every, you know, four or five films, right? And because, like, in Spectre made that same mistake now exploring his past right oh the villain is a is a friend a person he grew up with who, with daddy issues with his dad loved bond more and it, it becomes more like really ham-fisted because bond was never really a character who was super super fleshed out like from the beginning he's not a he's not a superhero who needs a superhero origin story is what i'm saying right um well here's the thing it would be i know this is a franchise that'll never die but yeah. It would be really boring if you would say, oh, well, we've never done that before, so we can't do that with Bond. I mean, that's what I've liked so much about the more recent ones. It's, And I know we've talked about this general trend of making everything darker, but I think with this especially it worked because he's a he's a spy. And you you don't want to sugarcoat things like that. It's why, you know, recently war movies have gotten more praises because... They've gotten more and more realistic and really, you know, psychologically revealing about yeah. what certain positions are like. So if you have a spy who's actually going through some shit, right. it makes sense. Right. Um, but, you know, Bond's like a harsher guy because it, it also makes sense that your spy guy is not always happy-go-lucky and, you know, making ridiculously over-the-top kind of statements. It, it, makes, it makes him more realistic. So... Right. And that was another reason this worked with this theme of this movie, because if you're having, you know, this pit about the classic ways versus this new system of doing things, and you also, in the process, reveal that your background is a lot more relevant and easy to find than it once was, well, it makes sense to introduce Bond's family into it, because suddenly we live in a world where that kind of stuff follows you now, and you can't just up and disappear and be this spy with no background yeah. like you used to be able to yeah sure I, I i can see that sure i guess i just maybe it's because it was just it was handled poorly you know in the, in the later film um because i remember in, in casino royale that was a film that delved more into the psychology of bond because like it was basically a film like this is bond's first love and you see how tragically this ends for him I and mean, that's why he becomes this womanizing guy right because he doesn't want to stay attached to anyone for too long. Maybe, yeah. Um, yeah, I could see that. 
don't know. I might have to rewatch Skyfall. Um, it's movies like movies that I'm totally in the minority in are Skyfall, X Men: Days of Future Past, and Batman Returns. These are films that I did not personally find all that great, but everyone else, ninety percent, thinks it's amazing. Um, I will say though, I don't care who you are, Batman Returns sucks. That movie is terrible. That was actually, <laughs> that was my first review for this website, Batman Returns, and how they it butchers characters. It's not a fucking good movie. I don't care who you are, especially if you're a Batman fan. I, I I think Tim Burton's a fucking hack, as far as I'm concerned. I think he he's completely, you know, style style over substance. Like, oh look at look at look at how uh, gothy gothic I can make everything. You know, look how edgy I am. Like, no, fuck off. You don't know shit about Batman. Um, that's just how I feel about it. Oof, damn. Well. Andrea, uh, I know you got work tomorrow, man. If you're tired, you don't talk anymore. That's fine by me. Um, up to you. Yeah, plus that I have to put up with you know talking to you. Yeah, yeah, you, you, yeah. You hate me. I forgot about that part. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that puts a pretty good ending mark on our this this week's podcast. I apologize to my viewers if I sound kind of somewhat incoherent, but you know, I figured making this kind of a informal podcast would make things, you know, a little bit, you know, less, you know, less pressure on, on our guests and our speakers. And just kind of let people just lay back and just speak their opinions as, as they are. All right. Well, that concludes this week's podcast. I'm Eric. You can find me at dankkushstore.wordpress.com. Um, I should be updating pretty soon. As soon as I'm done with my Batman v Superman review, I will be putting a kind of uncensored kind of take on that movie and the kind of culture surrounding that. I've been joined by Andrea, and you can find her at... At Gypsy Furiosa on Instagram. And, um, yeah, I have a Hateful Eight review coming out soon, so look for that. Yes, yes, she does. She has a Hateful Eight uh, review coming out, 420. Haha, <laughs> 420. Um, check it out then. She's a great writer. Um, yeah. And I've been... Joined by a guest, Devante, who had to leave early, unfortunately, to catch his movie with Hardcore Henry. Um, be sure, you know, to get this podcast a like. Um, if you didn't, uh, if you didn't like it, you know, I'm not sure why you're still here. If you have any questions at all, or any kind of criticisms, or you know, just things you want to say to me uh, or us, rather, you can contact us at our email address at podcast@nubis.com. If you have any questions or comments, uh, this has been Anubis. Uh, catch you guys, I guess next week. Yeah. Bye.